Hello and welcome to the HL Wellbeing Podcast, where we speak to individuals inside and outside of HL who have lived experience of a particular topic relating to either physical, mental, social, or financial well-being in the workplace. Uh, my name is Mark Davis. I'm a member of the Wellbeing Network here at HL. I'll be hosting today's episode where we'll be discussing the topic of financial abuse and how this fits into the broader topic of domestic abuse. And I'm joined today by HL's Head of Personal Finance, Sarah Coles, and the CEO of our Charity Partner of the Year, Fearless, Claire Marshall, um, both of whom will be offering us their experience and insight into this subject matter. Uh, just before we begin our discussion today, I want to let the listeners know that we'll be talking about issues which you may find upsetting or distressing, so please just be aware of this whilst you're listening. Uh, so Sarah, Claire, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. So just to start off with, it would be good to have some introductions um, and to hear about your relationship to the subject matter we're going to be discussing today. So Sarah, are you happy to kick us off? Yeah, sure. The reason why I'm going to talking to you about this today is because I was a victim of financial abuse. The um, father of my children, um, it was about 15 years ago, um, and for a period of about six years, I was a victim of abuse. So it's something that I'm very happy to talk about. It's something that I know some people feel there's an element of shame involved, and they're afraid to talk about it, but it's something I'm very open about and I'm not ashamed at all. Thank you. Okay, I'm working about your story later on in the podcast. Um, before we do, Claire, you're right to give us an introduction to yourself, um, the work you do, and, and how you became the director of a charity that focuses on domestic abuse. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm the CEO of Fearless. Fearless um, is a charity based um, right across the southwest, and it um, deals with uh, issues relating to domestic abuse, sexual violence, and stalking and harassment. Mm. So three extremely uh, contentious issues, mm. um, which has grown in scale definitely since the pandemic, and there is a bit of a zeitgeist at the moment, fortunately, around those issues. Um, I've personally been in the charity sector um, for 30 years now, wow. um, that's flown by, mm. um, so my whole career, um, and a variety of health and social care um, charities. Um, I think for some family experience initially led me into the sector um, and that was mainly end-of-life care, hospice care. Um, but my other area of personal experience has been domestic abuse. That was um, a, a factor in my, my upbringing and I've also personally experienced um, stalking and harassment as well. So um, I was very passionate about um, Fearless's work um, when I was approached for the role. And um, so I've been in place two years now and um, we've rebranded to Fearless and we have a new strategy and of course this fabulous new partnership. Thank you so much. And we're very grateful to you for making time for us today to come and chat with us. So first off, I thought it'd be good if Sarah, we hear a bit about your story um, how it all began for you uh, and kind of the, the trajectory that it went on. Um, are you happy to, to kick us off? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's, it's, it's strange when you, I think a lot of people, when they think about um, financial abuse and some of the ways in which it manifests itself, so they can be really shocked that a woman stays or the, the, the victim stays. Mm. Um, and they can think, well, if, if that happened to me, there's no way I'd put up with it. I'd leave straight away or I'd say something and it would, it would change. And I think it's important to know that you don't go from naught to 60 in this particular type of abuse. It comes very, very slowly. So for me, it was really small things. So it was, for example, I'd go out for lunch at a shopping mall with a friend um, and he'd say to me, oh, we, you don't need to spend any money. So it was really, really small things that didn't, didn't sort of occur to me as being particularly worrying or any red flags. 
but they just very, very gradually built over time. So sort of some of the early signs were if I was to buy anything, um, then it would make him very angry. So um, one particular time I bought a DVD after work back in the DVD days um, and he was absolutely furious. And he would express this by he would just, you know, he'd take himself away. Um, he would leave. He wouldn't say where he was going. He'd turn his phone off and he wouldn't um, get back in contact with me. Um, sometimes overnight, sometimes you take the children and, it, and I would be completely terrified about where they, where they were. And then over time, it just became easier for me not to spend my money on these things. It was, it was a case of, you know, they weren't, they weren't things that we couldn't afford. They were just things that he decided I didn't need. And so my, the rules around where I was allowed to spend my money and when I was allowed to spend it gradually sort of, my spending began to really shrink. Mm. Um, it's also worth knowing that um, financial abuse isn't just about spending. So in my case, it also involved work. So when my um, youngest was born, um, I was working for myself at the time and I'd saved up some money in order to sort of give myself some maternity leave. Mm. And I would had been home from the hospital for two nights and he um, came in to see me and said, I've given up work, um, you have to go back to work, your maternity leave's finished. And because of where we were living, we had quite a big mortgage at the time, I then had to take on three separate jobs um, so I was working five until nine in the morning, and then nine till five, and then five till nine in the evening um, in order to, to pay the bills. Mm. Um, at that stage, all the bills were in my name, all the mortgage was in my name, so I was paying for all of that. Um, and his money was, was really his to spend. So he would, he, he was very, very generous with people. So he would go out and treat all his friends to drinks and all the rest of it and, you know, buy designer clothes and all that sort of thing. Mm. So we had a very, it was a very sort of gradual process. But by the time we finished, I was living you know, very meagre life, according to a very strict set of rules, and it mm. contrasted quite dramatically with his. I didn't know that things went right, but you are so focused on survival at that stage. You're just trying to get through. Um, and when anger's involved, you, you don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to upset someone. So you're, you're constantly trying to make things easier for everybody and make things right. So you are just sort of being as flexible as you possibly can in order to sort of avoid upsetting people. Mm. Um, and it really took somebody outside that situation to start asking me questions for me to really realise that that actually constituted abuse. Yeah. How long were you in that relationship before those behaviours, those controlling behaviours around when he started to manifest? Was it something that was early on in the relationship? Or? It was only after we moved in together. Wow. So, um, yeah, I mean, and it was, as I say, early days, it was really gradual. You know, all the bills mm. were in my name to start with, but that was sort of explained as a, um, a handy way to manage our money. Um, also, there's he put quite a lot of time into persuading me that um, some of the things I was thinking about, the way that he was controlling my money, um, that I was just wrong, that I was misunderstanding or that, I mean, I you know, hesitate to use the word gaslighting because it's so commonly used, but mm. it, it, you would be led to believe that you were the one who was being unreasonable for really caring about mm. who has control over your money. Mm. And it took a friend to, to kind of start asking questions about that situation. That was the thing that triggered you to think that something might not be going right. How, how long from that conversation to the point at which you, you managed to, to get out of that relationship? It was quite a long process. So um, when she started, I mean, all she did was, you know, I'd, I'd lost some weight at the time and I was wearing very baggy clothes and she said, why are you doing that? Why don't you buy some more? And I said, well, I'm not allowed to buy clothes. Mm. And then I started to explain the rules and then I started to realise that from her reaction that it was really odd the way that I was having to live. Um, but from there, I... You know, with two young children um, below school age, the mm. the process of leaving, I you know, I couldn't imagine how I could possibly afford to leave, and I couldn't put all that together. I, I you know, I needed to be able to save up enough money so that I had a pot of cash in order to be able to rely on it, mm. and I needed to be able to get things in place. So it did take months from the process of thinking, 
I've definitely got to get out of this to actually mm. being able to make that move. And, and the big difference was talking to my family. Mm. Um, and my sister said, right, come and move, move in with me and we'll sort things out from there. And that was really the, the step change that meant that I could, you know, I could actually make, I could conceive of being able to leave without having to worry about how I was going to feed the kids. And Claire, in your experience with these types of situations, is this quite a common thing? Well, how common is this in your experience? I think as part of a, a controlling relationship, um, whether it's purely psychological control or whether it's psychological and physical control, is, um, is financial abuse is, is, is very common because it's part of that process. And it's part of the process of controlling the individual and it's part of the the isolation that people suffer in that process as well of, um, you know, uh, controlling your behaviour, controlling where you go, monitoring your behaviour, monitoring who you see. Um, Your availability of funds obviously affects what autonomy you have as an individual, Mm -hmm. doesn't it? Your um, empowerment, your ability to be independent and and, and a partner who's attempting to control you, financial control can be a key part of it. So Mm -hmm. I think it's it's more common than than people think. And I think I think for me, it's one of the most insidious ways of controlling a person because it, it, it does put reins on people for sure in how they live. It takes, I think, longer in these situations for people to understand that it is a form of abuse because there still is this misnomer that abuse is physical abuse, is violence. Mm. And um, it may be part of that. It may be part of that that, that negative relationship. But sometimes it's purely control. Mm. Um, and it takes people longer. And especially when it's, it's done slowly and gradually. And there's always justification for it of, mm. well, I'll, I'll manage the bills. Or this is the best way for us to pool our resources. And, and it, it's done gently first. And then mm. gradually the control is exerted. So, so I, I think it's a lot more common than people believe. But this isn't about a couple managing the family finances. Mm. Um, this is about one person controlling the life of another. Um, and this is this is one way and methodology of doing it. Um, so, you know, there are lots of examples from our clients, from uh, a partner of the housekeeping being withdrawn um, because of sex. Um, mm. So in effect, it's sex in exchange for the housekeeping money. Well, if that mm. housekeeping money is about paying the bills and feeding your family, then where on earth are you going to get the money from for the shopping? Um, you know, but some of it as well is about um, preventing the person from leaving because mm. then that destroys that belief. If the, if, if the victim is in a situation where they're starting to recognise signs of abuse or not thinking about leaving, or friends and family are starting to notice that, if you haven't got control of your finances, then that, that's how that affects our clients, is in terms of thinking, how do I leave? How do I bring that about? If I, if I haven't got control over my own wages, or, or even where some people are not allowed to work mm-hmm. by their partner, because that's a, an, an area of control as well, of cutting them off, isolating them, and, uh, and then they haven't got their own money and they're reliant on what they are given by their partner. So preventing people from leaving is a, is a, a financial control can um, have a great bearing in that as well, of people's ability to make that decision and to, to muster up the courage to do that. Ever since I've started talking about this, people will tell me about their experiences of it. And I think one of the things I was, I was very lucky in 
was that there was no debt involved. I think debt is really used as a weapon by some people to, mm-hmm. to try and trap people closer into the relationship. And they might take out debts in someone's name or you know, coerce them into taking out debt that they can't really afford. And that really means people, they're not just, you know, how do I go from here? But it's actually I've got to dig myself out of a financial hole before I can then look about, think about moving on. The forms it can take can be incredibly difficult to leave. I was speaking to somebody um, recently about bills and about how now energy costs have gone up they've become quite a common weapon that people will just deliberately run up bills or put appliances on they don't need it because they know it's in their partner's name and that they can punish them through that as well so it's it's very weird all the different tools that can be used against somebody in order to control them i think i think life triggers are are often used by an abuser so like your experience of everything was fine till you moved in together it's an excuse to to, to take the reins, isn't it, to get control, or the financial crisis, you know, with mm. um, the, the economic instability that's happening at the moment, the cost of living crisis, that can be an abuser's excuse to, to again, exert control. Well, there is a financial crisis and we mm. can't afford our utility bill, so I need to constrain um, your spending. And again, it's another way of apportioning blame gradually mm. so that the victim thinks it's their fault. It's because they're overspending. Um, but the uh, but the financial situation, the cost of living crisis, just adds another layer of an excuse. So we're finding a lot of clients are experiencing that as well. Is that it, And it's also an escalation. Mm. So uh, financial difficulties can escalate violence in a relationship as well. Mm. So where there perhaps has been control in a relationship previously, but not violence, it can escalate to that because of those additional pressures. And it's another way for a controlling partner to exert even more controls because it's real live experience that we at Fearless are hearing about day in, day out. And I suppose, I mean, we are really talking about this in the context of couples' relationships. Mm -hmm. It is also worth saying that this is something that can happen outside couples. So it can happen in different relationships. So something that that might happen maybe with an adult child and their parent, for example, Mm -hmm. if they sort of, you know, I'll look after your money for you so you don't have to worry anymore. And then they're using it, you know, in a way that doesn't benefit their parent. You know, it's something that you see more in domestic sphere with with sort of partners, but it can happen in other places and, and anyone can be a victim. Claire, in your experiences, that are there are there other kind of telltale signs that you think are easily identifiable or things that people can pick up on? You know, the words that are used of are not allowed to mm. do that, or the person is very hesitant in um, you know in buying a coffee or going out for a meal or going out for a snack or or being able to purchase something or simply having to ask permission to do something because even in the, the confines of a, a traditional relationship the person wouldn't have to ask permission for something mm-hmm. it's simply that one person is paying the bills they, you know in a, 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 a normal healthy relationship you would still have access to cash and a cash card and, and OK, your partner may pay the credit card bill if you're in that relationship, if your partner manages the finance, but you still have a credit card. Mm. Um, you know, so I think if you're it, I think those are the signs that friends and family tend to pick up on. And when you see it once, yes, it might be the partner said, you know, you need to rein it in a bit. You're spending too much. That's very different, isn't it, to someone not being able to to mm. buy something on a regular basis or not be able to shop or maybe not be able to go on a a, a night out or go for a coffee with friends. It's multiple signs that usually are are the giveaway and where we get family members or friends 
who are concerned, um, it usually comes from there are several signs over time. But the difficulty is usually how to broach that subject. You know, it's not something you drop in conversation, is it, while you're uh, in a team meeting? Oh, by the way, I think you're being controlled um, by your partner. I think you're in an abusive relationship. Mm. It's quite a tricky thing to start the conversation. Mm. But those signs people pick up on. And I think it's very unusual for someone to be wrong. Usually, if your gut is saying that and there's been numerous signs, um, then, then usually you're right. Whether that person is ready to hear that, and, uh, and it depends on whether they've been thinking that themselves. So sometimes it takes a while, um, and the more awareness we all build of that, and the more awareness everyone ar ar around us, friends, family, in the media, doing things like this in the workplace is a wonderful way for people to get information. Because mm -hmm. like Sarah's experience here, there could be a proportion of HL staff right now who are experiencing this and they're hearing this. And that what they're hearing is, one, it isn't right, and this is what you're experiencing isn't right and it isn't healthy. And secondly, you can get help. You don't have to put up with that. You can have control over your world, over your life. The other thing that you mentioned earlier about, about being cut off, so part of control can be to cut you off from your friends and family. And that's, that's one of the hardest signs, I think, to spot, because if somebody isn't coming out with you so much or isn't talking to you quite so much and, and is withdrawing slightly, you can just you take it personally and think, oh, well, they're, they're not, not a decent friend anymore. Mm. And it can be difficult to see that as a sign. Mm. So it's worth reaching out and, and asking them, you know, just seeing how they are. Even if the first time you ask, you get told that everything's fine. Mm. If you are concerned, just keep asking and, and making it clear that you know, you're there to be non-judgmental. You're there, you can offer help and, you know, you're willing, you know, happy to wait as long as it takes and, you know, that you're, that you're always available. And those things, are, they're so important. When someone is finally ready to speak to you, they then, they know where they can come and they, they know that they've got support waiting for them. And, and also maybe, you know, triangulate a little bit. So if you know other friends or family members, even if you've got loose contact, is having contact with them and seeing it's a repeated pattern. So it's really mm. confirming it's not you. Mm. You, you know, um, you've not been ghosted is, is actually a person is experiencing um, control. Um, because if other friends are saying the same thing and family members are saying the same thing, um, so, it, you know, so that's important because then that places a, a stronger doubt in your mind and, uh, you know, more surety that they might be experiencing it. And when they're ready, um, you know, it, it's really important to remember that um, abuse is very traumatising and there's a lot of shame involved and, you know, uh, people have been devalued, um, they have self-esteem issues that they've experienced as part of the abuse. So, um, so they won't necessarily be feeling strong and empowered um, to seek help and they may be concerned about what the consequences are because that may have been drilled into that person that there are very severe consequences to um, their physical health or um, as Sarah said about around debt um, uh, uh, around people knowing as well that's the other issue is, is, is sometimes people around someone who's being abused don't necessarily know a huge amount about it because of that isolation um, so, so just being there um, is is really important so um, uh, but the signs may be very subtle at first mm. and I think what, what you're saying about about knowing that help is out there is also really important so I think one of the best things people can do to support someone is to sort of arm themselves with the knowledge um, I, you know I don't know if you can put you know information in the show notes about the different organizations that are available Absolutely. and the places people can go online and read up about just what's involved and, and the, you know the best ways to leave mm. I mean I think 
one of the things I know I was saying, I found it easier to leave because I had some savings. Well, that in some circumstances, if you can save up some money and, and maybe get a friend to look after it for you or something like that, then that can be really helpful. And if you can get hold of bank statements or find out a bit more about your financial position, that can help. And if you can find your passport or your you know, driving licence, those sorts of things. But then all of that is not always possible. Mm. And it's worth knowing that even if you can't do any of those things, it doesn't have to stop you from leaving. Mm. So if you're worried about your safety, trying, trying to get a hold of these things, then you can still leave. There are still organisations out there who can help you. You can, you, know, you can pick up all of this stuff afterwards if you need to. Mm. Um, it's just you know, the most important thing is to say, stay safe, but to know that there is help out there, regardless of what situation you go to people in. Mm. What are the steps in terms of, say, for example, your organisation? What are the steps involved in someone seeking professional support from you? And what does that support look like? Um, it's just reaching out. It's just making contact. Is Whether it's through social media, whether it's through our website, um, just phoning us up. Mm. Just make contact. So we recognise how difficult it is for someone to, to reach out. That mm. first call is is vital it's mm. imperative and sometimes people are just calling to say i'm just i'm just calling to find out more information mm. but that reaching out is the first step and um they may not take it any further at that point um but just it, it's knowing someone's there and mm. that our advocates are there for that individual um so it's whether you ring the you know national domestic abuse helpline or your local charity in this case it's fearless um is, is is just make contact, just reach out. And uh, and depending on what's happening in your life, you get advice and support. And and if that isn't appropriate, that service, then you get signposted to, to a place that is there for you. But it's recognising, the first point of this is recognising that this is abuse mm. and it's part of domestic abuse. So if someone is looking at the National Domestic Abuse Helpline and thinking that isn't applicable for them... Um, well, actually, if you're experiencing financial abuse, it is. Um, it is domestic abuse. But at the end of the day, the title, the badge, the terminology is irrelevant. Mm. Is If you don't have autonomy over your own life and your own finances, then um, that's not a healthy relationship. Mm. So, so make contact, reach out, and then get professional help. And then those individuals are trained, are there for you. They're there to support and advise you. But the difference is um, it's about giving you back control and giving you support. It's not telling you what to do. Mm. It's about uh, allowing you to get control of your life again, but about giving you your options and helping you get your self-esteem back and get control back and, and seeing a life beyond that abuse. It's, it's hard to grasp, isn't it, that there's a stranger on the end of the phone, but their whole reason for existence is to support you. Mm. So it's hard to imagine that the that stranger is the person you can trust and, and not necessarily your partner in life. I think that's the, the thing that some people find hard to grasp. But that's why that person exists. That is their role. Mm. They're called an independent advocate. So mm. they're not tied to the police or the social care system or anything else. They're there purely to help you. Mm. So um, and they are and, and they are specialists in all forms. Of, of, of abuse, including this kind of abuse, so they can recognise those signs of, of, of control. Mm. So, um, so, you know, reach out, make contact, um, and, but also talk to your friends and relatives about it, because, you know, I think the more we build that awareness um, of, of this type of abuse, um, 
the, the, the easier it will be for people to reach out and, and for people to talk about it because then there'll be less stigma attached to it and less shame attached to it. Um, there shouldn't be any shame. Um, that control is done insidiously over a period of time, so it's very difficult to spot. But, but yeah, the entire organisations like Fearless are there for this exact reason. And in terms of your organisation, obviously we're partnering with you now uh, for the coming year. Um, how can people at HL support you? Because obviously it's a podcast primarily for people who work at HL. How can we support you? What can we do to help? Well, ooh, I've got a list. <laughs> well, firstly, obviously supporting the activities that, you know, we're partnering together throughout the year. So we'll be doing lots of events and different activities. Um, I, I think the second thing is, you know, volunteering. Absolutely. We have a range of volunteer roles. So it's, it's uh, you know, signing up for one of those if you can commit either one-off volunteering projects or ongoing volunteering as well. So it, it's something I'm a huge advocate for. I've done my, my whole career alongside my normal job. Um, I always volunteer as well. So everything from dog walking through to I'm a trustee of another charity at the moment. So I'm passionate about that. So whether you can give an hour um, uh, once in a while or whether you can give uh, five hours a week, you know, do it. it. It's fantastic and it makes you feel good that you're, you're, you're you know, the, doing the classic giving something back. Mm. Um, uh, so organising your own, um, you know, uh, activities. So whether it's a little awareness raiser, mm. you know, it, whether you want to do something in the confines of work or you want to do something with your friends. As I said, we'll link to any resources or any um, anything we've mentioned throughout the podcast. We will link in the show notes. But um, thank you very much for listening. The, the noise out there. Mm. So whether you're organising a walk on a weekend with your friends or it's a coffee morning or you're going to do a sporting event, whatever it is, you know, then, then it, it doesn't have to be a huge fundraiser, but just getting active and raising awareness of the issues. Um, and then we're starting our retail chain as well. So we're about to start um, a chain of stores and we're hoping to have, where possible on the locations, a little sanctuary in the back of the store, mm. which is where someone can flee, either flee full stop mm. or just get some advice. Because when you're out shopping for a victim, it's quite a nice, easy way when you're not being tracked, um, if you're in that kind of relationship, to, to be able to seek advice and support. But also the chain will need to feed that with lots and lots of fabulous donated goods. Mm. So um, And also create packs as well for... Um, victims who do want to to, to leave um, the family home and and, and need to, to seek sanctuary somewhere else. So um, so so yeah. So donating goods as well is is a fantastic way to support us. So whatever um, method you know, either um, use your imagination and creativity because there's a creative bunch at HL. So or, or just make contact with us and ask. You know, there, there's an array of options really. So it's whatever you want to do during this year. Um, so, uh, you know, it's an exciting opportunity to, to change many, many people's lives and give them their autonomy back. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, obviously, we'll link to the website and also the articles we have on our SharePoint. Is there any, are there any final words you guys would like to say? I mean, one of the things that when you're, when you're a victim, you do feel very, you're very weakened by the experience. Um, and, it, and it can feel like this is a, is a very big task. And you, throughout the process, people do tend to beat themselves up for what they've been through. And, and you know, it's, I think it's really important that people take on board early on. This is not their fault. This is not anything they've done. This is something that somebody has done to them. Mm. Um, and it, over time, you will be able to look back and you'll be able to think, I was really strong for leaving um, and look how far I've come. So whilst you might may feel at your weakest when you're a victim, there is great strength in reaching out and getting some help.
Claire, Sarah, thank you so much for, for joining us on the podcast.